you're listening to Talent Up, Elevating Leaders. I'm Joy Hall, here with Dr. Linda Reese. Linda is Leader Onboarding's managing partner and author of The Myth of Fit, Unlock New Leader Success with High Impact Onboarding. In this podcast, we're discussing what I consider to be the cornerstone of our onboarding philosophy, onboarding as risk management. Linda, can you take us through the basics of this concept? Sure, Joy. Uh, Let me start by saying that one universal thing that we've experienced is that when we talk with executives about the people they're hiring, they express some form of anxiety about the hire. And that may be even though they believe they've hired the right person. You know, other questions persist for them, like, is this person going to deal well with the people they work with? Are they going to drive the needed results? Are they going to be good for the company? Um, We do think that the hiring managers expressing these concerns is a good thing because that means that they are aware that risks exist for these new leaders. We worry more about the people who don't acknowledge that those risks exist. And the truth is that at top leadership levels, new hires face daunting challenges. And if they're going to be successful, they've got to be aware of those risks. And then there needs to be work done to manage those risks. Can you tell me about someone you've worked with who had an especially risky transition, Linda? I'm happy to, Joy. Um, While I'm giving this description, it'd be interesting for you to listen to see how many risk factors you can hear associated with Catherine's transition. Catherine was promoted from heading up marketing in an organization to becoming their president and being their first female president to boot. Her predecessor, the former president, became the CEO of the company and also the chairman of the board but expressed the intention of staying involved in day-to-day operations. The company had a hard time replacing Catherine, so for six months, she was serving as president as her full-time job, and in her spare time, also serving as the head of marketing. To further complicate things for Catherine, one of her peers was interviewed for the role and ultimately didn't get it, and became quite unhappy about that. She later learned that there were two additional peers who had wanted to be considered for the role but weren't asked, and that was problematic as well. She relocated her family, which included three teenagers, from a big city to a rural area hundreds of miles away, and one of her children had a congenital heart defect and had been treated by the same specialist since birth. Shortly after her promotion, Catherine was given a two-year goal of turning around the company's operations and financials, primarily by implementing a lean methodology company-wide. After that, the company purchased its number three competitor, which happened to be based in Europe, and four months later, they were taken private. They were purchased by an equity firm. To be honest, Linda, I could hear things that sounded risky for Catherine. How many risk factors did Catherine have, and what did you do about them? Well, you're right, Joy. There are many risk factors for Catherine's transition. I counted at least 10. But the good thing for Catherine, what was lucky for her, was that she had a very committed boss who was eager to find ways to help reduce the risk for her transition. Among other things, he made a commitment to stay out of her day-to-day leadership. Although he intended to be involved in it, he could see that it was going to be problematic for her. So he acted as a CEO and let her run the operation. Another thing he did was give developmental feedback to Catherine's would-be rivals for the role. By understanding where they had fallen short, they were given the opportunity to develop those skills so that the next time a senior-level role that they wanted came open, they would be prepared and would have a better chance of getting the job. And Catherine followed through by supporting their development efforts as she moved into her role. 
One thing that was really helpful to Catherine was that her boss set the expectation throughout the organization and with the board that performance levels were probably going to be flat for up to a year after Catherine accepted the role. They expected a decrease in performance because the energies of the operation were going to be focused on implementing lean and turning around the operation while Catherine learned the role and how to occupy it well. Reset expectations meant that she could be seen as successful rather than be seen as failing. So adding the equity firm to the equation created another challenge for Catherine and her operation. They had a whole new set of expectations and priorities, and it was really important that the whole company understand what those were and adapt their approaches to fit within those expectations. And finally, Catherine's boss made sure that her family got personal transition support by helping them find a home that met their needs, getting trailing spouse support for her husband, and matching the teens to the schools and activities that they enjoyed. An important contribution the company made was that they supported travel to the existing heart specialist for six months so that Catherine and her family could find a local resource that they felt comfortable with. Linda, I'm guessing that most of our listeners could identify at least six or seven risk factors from Catherine's story. Why don't more companies take a risk management approach to onboarding? Joy, there are a variety of reasons. One is that some just don't understand. They think that if they make the right hire, that that person's automatically going to be successful. Another is that they may not have been completely transparent during the selection process. So in other words, they might not have represented the job accurately or might not have talked about some problems that the leader was going to face into. And if they talk about those things post-hire, that's going to undermine the new leader's trust. Finally, they may just not want to suggest that the new leader isn't up to the tasks at hand. So, you know, offering coaching is a sign that we think that you're weak, um, and then they don't offer support at all. What advice do you have for companies that want to identify and manage all of the risks their new leaders face? Joy, there's a variety of things to take into consideration. The first is probably to think about the company itself. So what's changing or what's difficult for the company? What kind of market pressures are they experiencing? What's new in the industry? Then focus on the job. So what are the expectations for that role, the pressures that that leader might experience, and the gaps in alignment? Then what is it about the leader? Are they new to the industry? Are they managing people who were former peers? Do they have gaps in experience or perhaps are they a diverse leader? Now you need to think about the people the new leader works with. For example, who isn't happy that the person has been promoted into that role? Finally, and this is an important consideration, we need to learn about the family of the new leader and their needs. This personal transition is a big deal. In fact, it's the number two reason why new leaders don't stay in their roles. Thank you, Linda, for taking time to share what we know is a very important aspect of onboarding. If our listeners want to learn more about onboarding as risk management, visit www.leaderonboarding.com. We hope you can join us next time. We'll be talking with an executive who had a unique and successful onboarding experience. 